We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me as always, Jack Manuel and Jack. We're talking about another Nets loss to the Bucks tonight, 99-110. How are we doing, Jack? Where do we start? Yeah, it was rough out there, uh, but we were talking before we hopped on. It's always a little bit more painful where there's a collapse from your team side rather than, you know, the other team going scorching earth. It was really a lot of self-inflicted wounds in the second half. We're going to jump to that in plenty more. Make sure you check the buzz on all streaming platforms. But Jack, where do you want to start? The second half, the fourth quarter, where? Uh, so I, I don't know, Nick. I think I'll jump into... Probably the second quarter because we got a 35-point quarter to an 18-point quarter. So a 17-point advantage. The Nets had the momentum heading into the, the second half. And then it completely turns on its head Milwaukee's way. You know, the, there was offensive flow. The role players were chipping in. Yuta Watanabe was getting a few things here and there. In the first quarter, Eben Summerlin was doing things on both ends of the floor. You know, Kate, uh, There was some nice synergy with Kyrie and, and Ben Simmons. Ben was locking down Giannis to a greater extent. I think Giannis started the game 3 of 10 from the field. Yep. And what did he finish? He finished 16 of 25, which means he went 13 of 15 to end the game. I think if my math's right, someone can correct me on that. Got my teacher brain on, but not sure if it's totally on in, in basketball mode. So they went away from a, a, a lot of bad things. Steve Nash got ejected, which is the first time we've ever said that on this Brooklyn Bars podcast. It seems to me that there is, we've seen him argue with the rest a little bit more this year. I thought, when he was there, his coaching actually wasn't too bad. And then Jacques Vaughn and Igor Kokoschkov just couldn't hold things together. I don't think it was obviously their fault. It was partly their fault, but everything just fell apart in the second half. You know, Giannis just put his imprint on the game and as dirty as that, you know, reckless MVP winning, finals MVP winning, smoothie loving, Oreo loving dude is... Um, he he doesn't have a purity that you know Katie and Kyrie do, and he is just reckless and dumb and just a, just basketball stupid sometimes. But you know you put some stuff on the timeline, I think you'll have a, your mentions will still be on fire. But I totally agree with you. 
I put out, I'm like, you know, Giannis is trying to injure, Kev, uh, injure Brooklyn Nets players like he's gathering infinity stones. He's got Kyrie. <laughs> next one is like the time stone in Kevin Durant. You know, Nick Claxton's going to be sh- next soon enough. And then Ben Simmons is, you know, I mean, he's already injured, so <laughs> you can't really do much more to old Benny boy. But uh, rant over for now, Nick. I don't know where you want to take that after I sort of just went through anything and everything I could think of off the top of my head. Yeah, uh, I think Giannis is obviously a frustrating player, and you know it's easy to kind of get in your feelings. I love how you're just, I'm just calling him like this smoothie loving Oreo loving. You put it on your timeline, but then <laughs> you bring it to the blue wire pods, and you're like, you know, Giannis is frustrating. I respect I, no, I your was, restraint, Nick. I respect yeah. it. Oh, and I definitely was already like cranky, and then there was a couple calls that didn't go against him, like that shove in KD's back. That was an obvious loose ball foul. I think that's where it really gets frustrating. But obviously, you still give him credit because, like you said, he was dominant in the second half, and the Nets just didn't do as good a job of making his life more difficult. You know, there was just way too many rim runs for him, and a lot of that was when Dayron Sharp was out there. You know, Sharp really just could not contain him. And like you mentioned, Utah Watanabe was great in that first half. I thought he gave the team a nice spark. I think he finished plus 12, and he just played with good energy, and he also gives you the length and the stretchiness to add another impact defender out there that can help cover up some of the mistakes of the smaller guys. Or when you are sending doubles, having a guy with his wingspan and defensive effort is huge. And I thought that was definitely a major L. And like you mentioned too, you know, Edmund Sumner at first when he came in, didn't look great, but then kind of caught his rhythm, attacking the rim, getting in transition, really no reason to play Patty Mills 18 minutes in this game. You know, he did, nothing well, you know, and that's not being disrespectful. He he didn't shoot well. He's not knocking down his threes. We know he's a terrible defender. He's not creating for others, even though he did have three assists in this game. You know, that was a mistake in the second half playing Dayron and Patty, given how bad they were in the first half, especially on the floor together. I mean, you've mentioned it on this podcast before. When those two are on the floor together, they are relentlessly attacked by uh, opposing teams. And for good reason, because, Patty's guard, Patty's too small. Like, you know, Giannis might have said Ben Simmons is too small, but Patty Mills is legitimately too small. And I love my guy, and he's had a good couple of games, but he's giving a lot back on the other end of the floor. And Dayron Sharp. For anyone who has gotten into my mentions, I'm I'm calling you out now because he is unplayable, Nick. Now, that, that might be going a bit too far because, look, you still get some rebounds, you still get some assists and such, but he gets destroyed by opposing offenses. He gets relentlessly attacked. He gives away dumb fouls. He had 4,013 minutes. That was Ben Simmons-like for in, in terms of the fouls that Darren Sharp was accumulating. Didn't mean to give Ben Simmons a stray there. <laughs> but in, in saying that, we saw where, like, it was Utah and Ben were playing a little bit together, and and Utah and Claxton. It was just like, why aren't we continuing to go with this? That's the frustrating thing, as you alluded to at the start. Like you, you said, frustrating Giannis. The ultimate frustration is that there was, there were things that were working, and the Nets chose to not go back to them or not try them again, and sort of get bogged down in in offensive stagnation, in different defensive game plans. Like they gave Giannis like a, a runway. It was just like, here, my guy, we'll give you like a, a, a runway to the basket, and he's just like, all right, I'll just like throw the shoulder into you, and I'm not going to get a call for a charge because I'm I, I'm on the the ref's payroll, but. It was just, that's the most frustrating thing, Nick, that the Nets, as well as the Nets coaching staff, went away from what went, what, what went well, say that three times in a row, um, in the, in the first half. 
Yeah, I think it's pretty simple too. Is if you look down the stat sheet for the Bucks players, they were terrible from three. You know, they shot twenty-seven. They were terrible from three as no. well. We were worse than them. No, but I know. But this goes to my point: is you know, continuing giving Giannis that attention that they did in the first half and doubling him and forcing other guys to beat you. You know, the other guy you worry about tonight is Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday was bad. He shot five of eighteen in this game and just had was off on his jumper. Obviously, hit that big step back three late in the game, but. Other than that, you know, Bobby Portis is the guy to worry about, but everyone else was really off. So why would you allow their best player to beat you on easy shots? You know, it was just a lot of mental mistakes. It was bad execution and, you know, poorly timed double teams or double teams coming from the wrong wrong area or not quick enough and just kind of allowing them to do what they want to do. And on the Bucks side, defensively, they weren't amazing. This wasn't the best Bucks defensive game, but they did a better job of making Katie and Kyrie's life more difficult. And they got good looks and they missed shots, but also some of that is because of the amount of effort they had to put in to just get open off ball. You know, credit Wesley Matthews, Siobhan Carter, you know, Drew Holiday, really grinding Katie and Kyrie the entire game. Yeah, there was they provide a level of physicality that, you know, when you get the home court refs, you yeah. can get away with a little bit more. A little and more they grabbing. Yeah, I mean, PJ Tucker in, in seasons past as a Milwaukee Buck has gotten away with it uh, as well. So... And the Nets were, were never going to get the, the requisite calls that they probably did deserve. And because of the nature of Kyrie and KD's game. But one thing I have noticed about Kyrie uh, especially is that he's really forcing his way around the rim and, and yeah. to the basket. And that's something like he is playing with a with a purpose this year. And, you know, he's, I, I might put it out there, he's probably been the, the best net since opening night. You know, obviously Kevin Durant's probably been more consistent across the board, but I think Kyrie Irving overall, you can make an argument that he's been better than Kevin Durant across the four games that we've watched and recapped, but that's a, a, a probably an arbitrary discussion uh, to say the least. But I, I, I agree with what you're sort of saying, Nick. It was, that that's probably the most frustrating thing. The Nets went, on, I think the Nets got into a lot of hero iso ball as yep. well. Ben Simmons, who started the game well, was, you know, unseen in the second half and was you know he in, 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 and he showed flashes of like all right um, and yes he like held his back a little bit and yes Kyrie's telling him to shoot it you know th- there's gonna be plenty of viral stuff from this game but if you're taking out moments I've got an article dropping in the next couple of days and unfortunately it it doesn't cover what we saw tonight he seemed more willing to be physical and that was on both ends of the floor you know he was banging into Giannis trying to get a floater and the shot was awful but he was at least creating contact and he was doing that on both ends of the floor he seemed to be more willing to screen and then once the the final 24 maybe 18 minutes or so he went away from that completely he lost his purpose he lost his aggression he lost his desire he lost that sort of mentality and, and Steve Nash is asking Some of that's to- a component of going into iso ball because it makes him less impactful because obviously he's not a great off ball player and he's not really having enough activity in that role and I don't think he has a great understanding of that role currently obviously he's been in the NBA for a couple of seasons so you would expect a little bit more but that's going to be a big factor for him because Kyrie and Katie are so good in ISO that you cannot remove it completely from your diet. You know, it's going to always be part of the Nets and to some level. So that that's going to be an important factor for the Nets to figure out how he can be effective off ball. A lot of that is, you know, setting flare screens, cutting hard, cutting with intent, just constantly making your defender active. We've seen a lot of clips more so from the Grizzlies games showcasing, you know, Ben and Nick kind of guarding each other or the Grizzlies able to defend them with one guy. You didn't see that as much tonight, but to an extent it had an impact in the congestion we saw in the paint. 
No, that's it. So, look, there's plenty of issues with Ben Simmons, but you sort of have to take the good with the bad, at least at this point in time. I still don't think he has the trust in his body. I think a lot of people are prognosticating. You know, you've obviously experienced some back issues yourself, Nick. Uh, he, He clearly doesn't have confidence within his own body, and I think he's trying to force it somewhat to sort of go, you know, uh, the analogy I used in the in the last episode, sort of throw him into the deep end. He's sort of like diving into the deep end himself. And look, this was a better game than the Memphis Grizzlies one because he had nine yep. assists, he had two steals, he had a block. I thought his defense on Giannis for large, I might say large portions of the game, but for portions of the game was really, really good. And then there were portions where it wasn't. And you could say the same for Nick Claxton and the rest of the team. But he still wasn't, he still isn't the the Ben Simmons that we we know he can be, especially on the offensive end. He's he, he just he he's he's a non-factor to the greatest extent. You know he's Andre Roberson like on on offense. You know he can pass it, and when he gets in the post, but when he was at the five, and as you alluded to, you know when he's playing alongside Yuta Watanabe, it's just like. Come on, like really, like just don't put him out there against Brook Lopez. And I mean, like yep. Kevin Durant, like is is willing to take on Brook Lopez and and just have Giannis, you know, be purely guarded by Ben Simmons. There's little wrinkles that can allow you to unlock Ben Simmons better, and a lot of that does go to Sean Marks and not getting a, a spacing big man as well because him alongside Clax or Daron Sharp makes the offense look disjointed with a capital D I S J O I. NTED. Don't know if I spelt it right because I'm just uh, in my feelings right now. But we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. There's, I don't know, what do you feel about Ben right now, Nick? I I, I guess talking to you sometimes helps me understand it a little bit more and see see it from a more objective standpoint and, and hopefully does for the fans too. Yeah, I think you're right, though, Jack. I think there was progress in the first half. Second half, he wasn't necessarily as impactful defensively. He probably wasn't as good. I think some of that's him. I think that's some of his teammates and kind of trying to find a way to get him involved and be effective. Um, Obviously, I think, what, seven field goal attempts tonight, which is a season high for him. Uh, We'd like to see that number get to 10 or 12. You know, it doesn't feel like he's playing very natural sometimes. Like, even his first shot attempt of the game where he's blocked by Giannis and Brooke, it's like, dude, 
you've had one-on-one matchups with guards, you know, the first three games of the season and you didn't do anything, but you want to attack two of the best, you know, shot blockers in the NBA at the rim on the first possession with really no advantage created. It just feels a little unnatural for him at at times. And obviously, like you said, he's in his head. He's in his head. He's in his head and he definitely doesn't trust his body. I think when you hurt your back and you hurt your back multiple times the same way, you're just kind of in fear of it happening again in dealing with that issue. And then any type of like soreness or any, you know, uh, discomfort. Now all of a sudden you're like, damn, is my back messed up again? Am I going to be out? Is it going to be, you know, another serious stint for me out, you know, on the bench. So I think you just kind of got to wait and see what happens with him. I don't expect him to magically be really good in the game tomorrow against the Mavs. We're just hoping that he continues to get better than hopefully by mid November, he's starting to look more like the player we expect him to be rather than the player he is right now. Look, the stat muse is obviously more hater muse these days. It says list of starters with more than 100 minutes in minutes played, but totaled in fewer than 25 points and 25 rebounds. Ben Simmons, end of list. Now, I'm not going to attack him for the points. I mean, you could very easily do it, but rebounding is an effort and, and, and an easy thing to just do. You're 6'10". Like yep. him and Kevin Durant should be much, much better rebounders. And we sort of said when we were like arguing and sort of had optimistic expectations for Ben Simmons with our well, eight rebounds, that's going to be easy. It'll be the points. Now it's just like, what, what is he more? He's, he's not impacting in any sort of stretch. Like, one thing you can do is what, what like a lot of guys who are just trying to find their feet again, get some offensive boards and get some putbacks. You know, just yeah. do the little nitty gritty stuff. If you're going to not be you know, the ultimate version of yourself, do some little things here and there. Screen, be physical, get some boards. Get Be, you know, like Reggie Evans of seasons past and just get like a heap of rebounds, get some putbacks, get some rebounds and then kickouts to Joe Harris and Kevin Oran or whoever else it might be. So he's impacting the game in very little ways for extended stretches and and that's really harboring and impacting the team in a negative negative fact yeah it really is and like you said rebounding its area he can be impactful he has enough speed where he can take a risk here and there and you know die for some offensive rebounds on the board but moving on from ben who do you want to touch on next oh you, you throw it at me nick <laughs> I guess let's go with KD finished with 33 points, 10 of 23 from the field, one of four from three, 12 of 13 from the free throw line, six rebounds, three assists, two blocks, five turnovers, definitely some sloppy turnovers in there. And honestly, KD finished with 33, but it was not a great shooting night for him. You know, a lot of those shots kind of bounced off front rim and slid in, or there's just a lot of shots that he normally hits and they just were not following. And on another night, this might be a 40 point game credit the bucks for some level of frustration for him. But a lot of it was, you know, Katie just missing some good looks. Yeah. I think Katie wasn't at his best tonight, but you know, he's uh, the one thing I was pleased to see from both him and Kyrie, they got to the, to the line, a combined 23 times. And that could have been, you know, even more 13 for Kevin Durant, 12 or 13 and 10 for, for Kyrie Irving, nine of 10, both of those guys, if they continue that good things will happen. And with the more favorable whistle, and then obviously some of the shots falling, you know, this was probably Kevin Durant's probably worst game of the season. But in saying that for a guy that's, had you know 33 points six rebounds three assists two blocks you know it's it's you're judging him by Kevin Durant standards and I think there was I I still think that there is a complete lack of flow and identity on on the offensive and still for the Nets when the Nets did look really good they were turning defense into offense they were really pushing the pace and I think Kyrie Irving is more a, a leader in that department when he sort of his rebounding has been incredible like there is no night where Kyrie Irving should have more rebounds than Kevin Durant. 
Like that, that that's plain and simple. But contract Kyrie is 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 a different breed, and he's really like showing effort in every single facet of the game because he wants to get his payday, whether that's from the Brooklyn Nets or elsewhere. And you see him like like literally jump. Like he's like a bunny when he wants to get those rebounds, whereas you know Kevin Durant and 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 Ben Simmons just expectable to fall to them, and I think they could learn a thing or two from from Kyrie Irving with the 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 mentality that mentality that he is showing. Yeah, Kyrie Irving probably you know on the score sheet, you know over seven from three and one of four from three for Kevin Durant. That's probably another big indicator why the Nets did lose the game. The way that they shot from from three was was and pretty they were pitiful. Really- all good looks for Kyrie. You know, he didn't really force any bad shots. Maybe one contested three in there, but a lot of them were just good looks that he wasn't hitting. And the same thing with Kevin Durant. And obviously that hurts against a team like the Bucks, who are trying to kind of force you out of the paint and take some more threes and going seven of 27. Ah, great. Not great at all. Not great Bob, as the old <laughs> madman meme goes. But what were your thoughts on, on KD and Kyrie, Nick? Yeah, I mean, KD, like you said, on it, he was good enough for the Nets to win this game. He wasn't great, and obviously would have hoped that in the fourth quarter he could have knocked down a couple more shots, but getting to the free throw line was huge. You know, six rebounds, not terrible for him. He was definitely a little bit more active, I think, in the paint and tipping some of those out. Um, and like you said with Kyrie, funny enough, though, Kyrie's nine rebounds all came in the first half. I thought, is, eight in, I thought he had eight in the first half. Uh, let me double check, because I know there's a tweet out that I replied to, because I was like, damn, I wonder what the betting odds are for... Uh, Kyrie to get 10 boards and 10 boards in a game so yeah yeah it, it would not be high because it's you know Kyrie Irving 6263 he's like mine and Nick's yeah. height if not a little bit shorter so nine he's and been, half time nine and a half nine time and a half time there you go my bad of course you're always on the ball when it comes to more accurate things than me I get <laughs> too much in the feelings were more accurate from three uh, <laughs> yeah no no doubt about that but they got to the line 30 times overall you know 24 of 30 from there but you know the Bucks themselves got 29 times and a, a lot of those calls we're questionable. You know, I, I think that Giannis and, and just gets away with, you know, bloody murder, it, it feels sometimes. But I thought Royce O'Neal, Nick, unless you had any final thoughts on, on Katie and Kyrie. No, I think they both were good enough to win the game. There were, like I said, same thing with uh, Katie and Kyrie. It's just there was hopefully more shots they could knock down. You know, Kyrie's definitely turning it up. And what did he finish this game of nine of 14 from two? And it felt like he really didn't miss in the paint other than maybe one block by Brooke Lopez. So like you alluded to earlier, really great stuff attacking the rim from Kyrie Irving. Yeah. And the two thing, the, the two highlights I wanted to point out for both of them, because they just stuck out. Ken Rand posting up, I think it was Drew or Wesley Matthews. I can't remember who, and he's sort of backing him down to the right and then turns over his left shoulder and, and hits the, the bank off the glass. I thought that was just gorgeous and just so smooth and you know, few, if any player can produce that move. And then Kyrie Irving, I love it when he splits defenders. He just like, just finds like, a, a little crevice and he's just like sneaks through Boom, and I'm going to like just split you and, and hit you with the righty or the lefty because his ambidexterity, if that is the right word, you know, ability to do things with both hands, has been insane this season as well. He's we predicted, you know, a career year for Kyrie Irving, and it maybe not, it might not be statistically, and he, he's obviously three point shooting as well as the Nets overall three point shooting hasn't been great, but I think you can also talk to the fact that Clax, Ben Simmons, and Sharp are playing large portions of minutes as a two man combo uh, that could probably reflect that as well, but. Yeah, that that was just a a gorgeous play from from Kyrie Irving. 
Yeah, I think he's at his best when he can kind of slither through the defense and attack the rim. And I think that's really created with good spacing. You know, when there's not guys in position where they can have a foot in the paint already, obviously Kyrie can still finish over them. But the way that he's able to kind of wiggle, you want to create as much space as possible for him. But getting to Royce O'Neal, like you said, 12 points, 4 of 13 from the field, 4 of 9 from 3, did have two steals as well. Royce was... I think very good in the first half and the second half, there were some moments where it's just like, ah, man, like why'd you take that shot or why'd you throw that pass? And that was kind of part of Milwaukee going on that run. And in my head, I think it was like a three point game. Royce had an opportunity to kind of hold it down. He tried to throw oop the clacks that ended up getting the bucks back the ball. And then a couple possessions later, maybe one or two possessions later, he tried to force a layup against Brooke Lopez at the rim. And that little stretch right there was the Nets' opportunity, in my opinion, to take the lead back or tie the game back up, and they did not. And, and you know, obviously some of that blame falls on Royce, and it's not like he was terrible the entire game, but there's little stretches that can have huge impacts. Yeah, I think the reverberating effects that we're talking about, about lineup combinations and such, I think the reverberating effect of Ben Simmons being so passive is that Royce O'Neal has to do so much more offensively, yeah. and he, he's just not that guy offensively. He is Especially that guy when— starters. Yeah, and I think he is a, a really good three-point shooter. I think he can do things off like, you know, straight line drives where he has to put the ball down maybe for a couple of dribbles. But self-creation is just not his thing. Like, you know, yeah. Bruce Brown's probably a little bit better at that than, than what he is. But I think... Honestly, I'd Royce say Bruce might be substantially better. Yeah, and when it comes to three-point shooting, what you want, what you actually want from your fourth or fifth starter, that sort of three-point shooting marksmanship is what Royce O'Neal can do a lot better of. And I also do think that Royce is a bit bigger and, and can guard some yeah. of those guys uh, well. And he, I think defensively this year has been... Uh, other than the aberration that was the Memphis Grizzlies game where he was shocking, um, he bounced back a, a little bit tonight. And I think you know his defensive leadership has been important. You know, he gets some strips, he gets some hustle plays, those sort of things. But yeah, I think Ben Simmons... You're not wanting to take a shot or taking the wrong shots or t- wanting to take shots at, at certain times and then just completely being a, a non-factor has forced Royce O'Neal. Like, we should never see, when we look at the box score, Nick, because we do all these game recaps, Royce O'Neal having more shots than Ben Simmons. It, yeah. it just shouldn't happen. Like, it, it's just plainly and simply, Royce O'Neal should be averaging, you, you should swap those around. Royce O'Neal should have seven shots, all of them threes, maybe one or two drives, and Ben Simmons should be having 13 shots. I don't think that's going to happen, but that's you know, the, the natural inclination that I have. Yeah, this is, uh, I think, brings up another topic, is the Nets desperately need Seth Curry and TJ Warren back. You know, I think those guys can give you consistent offensive production. TJ obviously can create on his own to a good extent, especially against second units. Seth, we, we've we talked about in the past, he's, you know, a two and a half level score, can run some pick and roll, can do some nice stuff on a, as a, the secondary action of a play. I think getting Seth back is going to be pretty big. Not only is it going to probably remove Patty from the rotation, but it's going to give them just another offensive cog that they don't have because Clax was really eliminated tonight by the length of the Bucks. Giannis and Brooke did a great job of just kind of locking it up down there and there wasn't really an opportunity for Clax to attack and then that led to like you said Jack Royce essentially having to be you know one of your top offensive impact players and he's that's just not his game you know he's a fifth starter when he's out there and that's a fifth starter offensively defensively he's a, probably a tick better than that but he's Asked to do more than what he can do. And, you know, I put out a tweet after the Grizzlies game kind of alluding to how playing Ben and Clax is just creating a larger load for Kyrie and Katie offensively to get the shots they need to get. And it's creating a higher level of fatigue. And I think 
you know, give it, maybe you want to give it a couple more games and see if you can work something out. But I think, you know, the fear in the off season was that was not going to create enough space and teams were going to sag off. And that's exactly what we're seeing. Yeah, especially when you're also playing Simmons Sharp minutes with, with Kevin Durant out there or Kyrie yeah. Irving out there. Like it, there and then is you're no... throwing at Edmund Sumner too, who can't shoot threes, even though he was pretty good in this game. No, he he was good when he wasn't shooting the three ball because he's three ball mechanically just and he just doesn't look good. But in in saying that, Nick, you know, we've seen probably smaller glimpses of you know Ben Simmons at the five alongside you know four shooters and Yuta Watanabe, whoever it might be, Joe Harris and such. That's where it works. It's just like give all of Damon Sharp's minutes to a combination of Yuta Watanabe and Markeith Morris. Like just yeah. just do it. Like just it, it we we've had it might only be four games, but I think we have enough of a sample size and some people have been arguing about some stats that I've been putting out and, and fair enough, each to their own. But we can see with our own eyes, if you watch basketball and know basketball well enough, that Clax and Simmons doesn't work for extended periods and Simmons and Sharp doesn't work for any period. So yep. it, play Simmons solo five, play Clax a bit of solo five, throw some Udawater in the Watanabe in there, throw Markeith Morris or sign another big. Like it's, sign DeMarcus Cousins or even people are now getting in. Like we said, and this is where I have to eat my words, that the, the margin between Dwight Howard and Daron Sharp is like, you know, is it even that big? Uh, I think it is. Like he's not a rotational big right now. And I'm, and I'm not saying again that he, he he can't be, but against these sort of teams, you know, we, we've come up against a, a couple of good teams of late. You know, the Memphis Grizzlies, good solid team out in the West. The Milwaukee Bucks, championship favorites. And Daron Sharp is unplayable against them. Yeah, I mean, he really is. And, you know, I think there's there was questions about Dayron when he was drafted about what he could do defensively, excuse me, and his mobility. But also, I think offensively, him having a lack of an impact is hurting too. You know, he tried to post up George Hill, ended up uh, ended up being a turnover. Then uh, KD hit him with a pass in the paint. It was a tough catch, but he still wasn't able, able to complete it. Ended up being a turnover and one and three from the field, one and two from the free throw line, three rebounds, did have three assists, one steal, one block. But as we talked about, you know, the fouls and the defense on Giannis just wasn't good enough. And he's, you know, hindering the team by a, a decent extent. And it's a combination in which he's being played to, you know, when he's out there with Patty, when he's out there with Ben. You know, the, the bench lineup we saw early in this game was just Oh, my bad. God. Yeah, it was so bad. And that was a huge factor in terms of just like having a negative impact on the game. And I think the Patty Mills and Dayron Sharp minutes in the second half help the Bucks kind of push that lead. And all of these little moments and stretches, kind of next thing you know, goes from a six-point deficit to a 10-point to a 15, and the game is kind of out of hand because now you can't hit a shot. I think you and I talked about a lot over the summer. You know, it seemed like the Nets were going to lean into solve a small ball and just play a lot of big forwards and see what happens. You know, play, like you said, Utah, Morris. If you have the likes of, you know, Ben Simmons, Kevin Durant, and Utah out there, Against this Bucks team, you don't feel terrible. Brooke Lopez isn't posting up like he used to do in New Jersey. You know, you're seeing Giannis as the main component and you're sending doubles at him anyways. Why not roll with that? And your activity is turned up. Yeah, you might lose a couple boards here and there, but you're going to probably force more steals, get better in transition. And that's when the Nets look their best. And that's when guys are able to excel because you're playing with one non-shooter. And it's 2022. You know, the game has changed drastically from what it was in the 90s in terms of the spacing on the floor and how important it is. Unless you're running a great system with two of the best shooters of all time, you're not going to really create space with two non-shooters on the floor, especially against great teams. 
Yeah, and you 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 allude to like playing Utah or whatever. In the eight minutes that he did play, two two from the field, one on one from three, and was plus twelve yep. in twelve minutes. So if you double that and give him sixteen minutes, he's plus twenty four, and the Nets maybe win this game. It's just I. I, it feels like maybe there's like a disconnect between Sean Marks and Steve Nash. It's just like, okay, I've got you all these wings, play small ball. And yeah. then we hear, obviously, Sean Marks say, we're going to give Darren Sharp, you know, a, a bit of a chance. And he could bounce back against the Mavs and, and Sun, you know, the likes of Maxi Kleber, Dwight Powell, and Christian Wood. I don't see that being a, a high likelihood of happening. But Luca's just going to eat him up. He is, oh man, he's going to be barbecue chicken for him, you know, with the tastiest of sauces uh, for old Luca. But it's. That again, it's a high level of frustration when we we're getting small glimpses of what can work, and we want more of it. Like, just give us more. Yeah, it really is. Just give us more of the wing ball. You know, as Kevin Durant said over the summer, it's a wings league. You know, we want to see the wings out there. We want to see them play a style of basketball that's going to allow guys to excel. And a level of this loss is on the coaching staff and the lineups. And obviously, Nash was ejected, and it was on Jacques Vaughn and Igor and the rest of the staff out there. But still. You know, there was some evidence of things that worked in the first half, and we just did not see them happen in the second half. You know, I almost felt like watching the third quarter in this game, I was like, damn, I cannot wait until the starting lineup is out of this game because the Nets will be able to find a rhythm if they go back to some of those small ball lineups we saw at the end of the second. Nick, what were your thoughts on Joe Harris? Yeah, Joe still looks like he doesn't have a rhythm, you know, especially offensively and kind of finding his groove. You need to see him knock down a couple more shots because, like I've mentioned before, with Seth and TJ needing to come back, they desperately need some more offensive production. And we know what Joe can do when he's just kind of that third or fourth guy out there. And he just does not look fully healthy yet. But I think you love some of the other stuff you get from Joe, you know, the four rebounds, the two assists, the the grittiness that he's playing with defensively and, you know, helping on the boards and just kind of doing his thing. I think it's also a little bit of an adjustment coming off the bench for him and playing in smaller spurts than what he's used to. You know, I think even with him not knocking down shots, he still feels like a, a good component to the team when the offense is out there just because of the gravity he's getting and also understanding like, hey, Katie wants the ball here. Kyrie wants the ball here. And he has a level of chemistry with those two that really no one else other than maybe Claxton has on the team. No, I think one thing I'll say about Joe is maybe starting him for Ben and, and giving Ben a rest tomorrow against the Mavs could be an option. Do you think that, that is a possibility, Nick? I would absolutely probably love that. Um, I don't know if it's going to happen. I think there would be a great reason to rest Ben. You want to, you know, see, you know, his soreness is and how his back's doing and get Joe a chance to kind of get his minutes ticked up and see how he fits. Because I think at times that could be the Nets' best lineup. You know, if Ben's not playing well, you know, playing Kyrie, Joe, Royce, KD, and Clax, that's some good stuff out there, especially because now you're pushing Royce down the totem pole in terms of offensive needs and you're adding more space for Claxon to rim roll, you know, set those ghost screens or do whatever he's doing in terms of slipping to the rim. And I think that's that's a, a factor that could be effective for this team. And it, it's not like, you know, we don't want Ben to be successful, but the Nets still need to win games. You know, the East is very competitive and starting the season one of four is not pretty. Yeah, I think back-to-backs is going to be interesting what the strategy is there. Like, Kevin Durant played a higher amount of minutes tonight, so did Kyrie Irving. So, will Ben rest? I think we could see an unlocked version offensively for the Nets if we do see Joe Harris start. Yeah, I agree. I think also Cam should probably get a little bit of run. You know, Patty hasn't been good enough to be like, oh, man, we can't play Cam at all. I think you have to look at it and say, like, we need a level of offensive creation at times to alleviate some of the loads on these guys. 
give Cam Thomas a shot in the end of the first quarter or the beginning of the second and see what happens. It just feels strange that he's just not getting a single lick of minutes. And his defense at this point can't be probably worse than Patty Mills. Yeah, and I think as well, like it's not a rookie thing anymore. Like, his look, look how many minutes Daron Sharp is just being given, yeah. just because of the fact that he's like he's not even a true big. Like, he's six six nine, six ten. Like, coming around Ben Simmons and like to a lesser extent, like Yuta Watanabe could play five as credibly as him if you're talking about height. But yeah, that's a discussion for another day. And yeah, Killer Camp, give him some goddamn minutes. You know, I, I was initially in my feelings a little bit about Subna, but then he proves me wrong. You know prisoner at the moment that's the the nature of social media and such and happy to, to, to eat my l there but then he didn't play any extra minutes going forward but this uh, hopefully all the discussion we're having nick here you know steve nash has sort of said you know getting ejected you know katie was was happy about it not a not a heap of quotes to sort of touch on um, we do have in, one in quote that- about sumner that i think is kind of important uh, alex schiffer asked uh, nash about this about giving uh, sumner more run and steve nash said i was probably out of the game by then so it seems like maybe Nash would have went back to Sumner and gave him a chance in that second half where the assistant coaches did not. Yeah, and you know, the reason why Steve Nash got ejected was because of Paddy Mills. And it's just like, of course, it's Paddy Mills getting ejected. That's going to make Steve... Paddy Mills getting hit. That's going to make Steve Nash lose his stuff because there is a sense of nepotism within the Nets organization that a lot of people um, have thought about. And you know there might be some truth to it. But look, Nick, if we, if we get this Mavs win, you know a lot of the stuff that we've been discussing tonight... You know, could hopefully, you know, alleviate some of our concerns, but it's going to be a big one. Uh, if the Nets do lose against the Mavs and they go to one and four, it's a it's a long way to not a long way to crawl back from, but you know, it, it's a bit of a hole. You know, and we've predicted fifty plus wins for this team. You know, it, it might be in the more closer to the late forties, and they're not not going to get a a top four seed, especially with the. The nature of the beast that is the parity in the NBA right now. There are no easy wins, and the Nets have played well enough in the past two matchups to probably get the win. It's just that they haven't played long enough, played good enough or long enough in the important stretches, or they've played so badly the gap between their best and their worst has just left them, you know, waning. So we'll see yeah, how the perfect example was the second and third quarter in this game. Exactly, you know, they, like you said earlier, Jack. They won the second quarter thirty-five to eighteen, and they lost the third quarter twenty-one to thirty-five. You know, that's the game right there. You just you don't have to play great all four quarters. You have one of these extremely good quarters and then just play average and keep it within a, you know, under five every single quarter. You'll win the game. But the Nets are just incapable of being consistent right now. Yeah, and I think that comes down to the players and also a sort of coaching thing, keeping them engaged and, you know, sort of simplifying the sort of focus. Okay, this year we get stops, three stops. The, the, like those sort of little things, I think Royce O'Neal can be a leader in that sort of stretch. I think Clax is improving his leadership as well. I think he's really growing into his own in that department. But yeah, there's a, there's a ways to go with this Nets team, Nick. You know, they're all they're the headline with the Lakers of every sort of general media podcast and sort of talking about, are they done? You know, are they even going to make the playoffs or whatever? Look, the, the, this team has so much potential. Like if you watch their games like we do and like so many of our fans do and so many of Nets fans around the world do, you see what the potential of this team can be. And that's even with, you know, Ben Simmons playing as poorly as he is, the lack of spacing sort of happening. There are stretches where this team looks like unstoppable and you know, great a great two-way team, but the good teams and great teams do it for longer stretches than not. And unfortunately that's what the nets are capable of, but they aren't right now. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. You know, until they are consistent, they will not be a great team. They'll just be the idea of a great team. And that's kind of, you know, been the fear with them. 
and been the case with them, you know, over the course of the last season. You know, it's just like the talent is there. There's potential for them to be great, and they're just not. But, Jack, any final thoughts on this one before we get out of here? On to the next one, Nick. On to the next one. I, I unfortunately won't be on the next one, but I know you'll be recapping it, whether you've got a guest or you'll be doing it solo. Hopefully, you've got some good news. I'll, I'll, I'll be listening to that one with, with bated breath. Yeah, and we do have some good news on another front. Check our uh, profiles, or you can look in the description of this podcast. Drop some new Brooklyn Buzz merch. Be sure to check that out and check the buzz on all streaming platforms. And big thanks, everybody, for listening. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.